Year endings and year beginnings are always an interesting time for folks. Some folks approach both with great joy and celebration, and for others, not so much. I'm going to be talking to our guest today about many things, including what his experience was of holidays then, and perhaps we'll get him to tell us a little bit about now. Hi, folks. This is Pamela Brewer welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk, and very pleased to introduce to you media communication specialist and facilitator, as well as male initiation rights and community activist member of the Mankind Project Afante. His name is Daryl Moment. Daryl Moment, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you. Good to be with you again, Dr. Brewer. Now. Daryl, you heard me rattle off your business card. It is indeed a long one. Tell us a little bit about the media communication specialist and facilitator piece. What does that mean? I'm a native Washingtonian. I started off in the mass media communication school at University District of Columbia. Um, I was one of those students who back in the late 70s Listen to Jim Brown, uh, Vance, Jim Vance, and folks who talked about the black community being more than just consumers, that we needed to be owners and purveyors of the information highways that we get our information from. I took that as a personal challenge. And what did you do with that challenge? I started at UDC and Saturday Community College working in radio. Uh, found out that I had a preferred radio voice and then made my way into the technical side of the business, into television. I went on to work for a couple of local TV stations and ultimately landed a job with ABC News where I managed to stay busy as a producer, editor, videotape editor, photographer for 27 years. That sounds like you were very busy. It opened a lot of opportunities to see things through different lenses. Yeah. The the difference between the news media, entertainment media of yesterday as you were growing up and just beginning in the field versus what it is today, can you talk about that for a moment? It's a drastic difference. It's almost like a three-generational seed change. When I grew up, the average information was you bought your newspaper in the morning, um, you bought your newspaper in the evening, everybody sit at home in front of the television set and watch the nightly news at 5 o'clock or 6.30. And you had... um, Walter Cronkite, Chet Huntley, David Brinkley. You had the standard bearers for credibility and reporting news to us based on facts. That's not what we do these days. We do innuendo, rumor, suspicion, allegations. Um, We call it infotainment. When I say we, those of us who come from the old glory days of journalism, we call this infotainment. So when uh, Donald Trump says that the news is pretty much fake news, is he right? 
Well, it depends on, I know this is a dirty word, it depends on the source that you choose to believe and whether there are facts involved in the story or just somebody who you like and things you choose to believe, whether they're factual or not. Hmm. We could have an hour-long conversation just about sources and chosen beliefs versus openness to new learning. Hours and hours of conversation we could have about that, but we're not. I hear you. I know that our listeners hear you, so I'm going to switch a little tiny bit and ask you about the rest of your business card, if you will, and that is as a uh, male initiation rights and community activist member of the Mankind Project Afante. What does that mean? Well, let me add some clarity. Afante is an African-American co-ed organization that is interested in developing strong links in the community toward empowerment, economic, and social justice. Separate from that, there's the Mankind Project that I was proud to be a member of for over 20 years. I, I, I ran into people in the Mankind Project since 1999. Um, the Mankind Pro Project gave me a global view of what can be done at Fonte, the Underground Railroad, gave me a view of what's missing within the black community, specifically. Mm. Okay. The idea of male initiation rights. Many folks, when they hear that, it sounds like something foreign, something people don't really do nowadays, something weird. What's your sense of what it means to have male initiation rights? Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you asked that question. Male initiation rights gets back to the old way that we used to do things, and it's more tribal. In many tribal communities, young men and women are basically taken care of by their mothers. And when they reach the age of 12 or 13, they are considered no longer to be children. They are expected to be contributing members of the community. At and 12 or 13? They, yes. Okay. They're given tasks to perform that add to the value of the community, whether they are to feed the grandmothers or whether they go to take care of the babies something that's meaningful and it adds their value to the community. In the case of young males, when they hit puberty, there's a realization that males need to be taught how to be men. So there are certain trials and rights that need to be taught them that make them a contributing member of society. In some communities, we have bar mitzvahs. In other communities, we have a real trial of courage where you must demonstrate your courage. And basically, it's other men who are measuring you and teaching you in a very clear, direct mentorship relationship. We, the civilized people in the United States, have gotten away from those. Is that a good thing or a not good thing? I think it's a not good thing because 
a lot of young people, myself included, and this is over 40 years ago, we don't know what the measuring stick is. We think because we've reached a certain age that we must be men. But in truth, we've not been taught how to deal with our emotions, how to deal with our physical wants, needs, desires. We've not been taught what's acceptable, not acceptable. And the only way we found out where those boundaries were was if we crossed them. That's too much at risk, I think. So the only way you would know if you were doing something that was appropriate or acceptable as a man was if you got in trouble with doing the wrong thing. Exactly. That doesn't seem to be all that useful. It wasn't to me. <laughs> gotcha. We're going to take a break, Daryl, and when we come back, we will continue. And I want to talk to you a little bit about men in general and African-American boys and men in particular and the notion of having a mentor, finding a mentor, or being a mentor. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. We'll be back in just a minute. moment. Tell us a little bit about your sense of the value of a mentor and whether or not you had a mentor growing up. Well, I had many mentors. Um, there's a group called Arrested Development that used to sing a song called Mr. Wendell. I had many informal mentors in the community, people who held some reverence to me and they spoke to me about the right or wrong or the correctness of what I was doing. You know, there was always somebody in the neighborhood who told your mother that they saw you cutting school or doing something wrong. The word always got back. And those people had permission in those days to correct you on the spot. And or your mother knew, your dad knew, your grandmother knew, your aunt knew. Everybody knew. <laughs> no matter what you thought you were getting away with, everybody knew. Now, there's a reluctance to get involved. There, there's just too much anger with somebody correcting your child. or It's gotten to the point where it's not worth a lot of people's effort to do that. Hmm. Did you have any significant mentors as you were growing into a young man? Many. Um, off the top of my head, I remember there were a couple of college tutors from American University. These were white tutors who came into the inner city to teach, and they were instrumental in teaching me a different way of learning. I guess you would say I was learning different. Black and white print didn't really mean a whole lot to me. It seemed like it all got jumbled in my mind. These students taught me to think in terms of colors and living constructs so that algebra had a different color, trigonometry had a different color, and they had different relationships. They had certain tricks that other people didn't have. This 
brought those concepts to life to me. It created in me a hunger to know more about the processes, the rules, the structure, and how they interplay. You made specific reference to the fact that these were two white students who were coming into an inner city area. Why? When I grew up in the inner city of Washington, white people coming to a black person's house only meant they were collecting insurance payments or something went wrong. To have voluntary white students come to teach black kids in their house was unheard of. Gotcha. So that was a piece of new learning for you on several levels, even beyond the algebra and the trigonometry and what they were teaching you. It gave you some information about social interactions as well. Yes. Are there times you would say when one outgrows having a mentor? Never. Never. There's always a question of what you know versus what you don't know versus what you don't know about other people's view of you. And there comes a point where some of what you think you know doesn't translate to how you're viewed by other people. Hmm. That was a hard concept for me to process, especially if I had no interaction with that group of people. The idea of men having friendships, you know, I've, I've certainly talked to women who have um, been happy that the men in their lives, whether it was a brother or a boyfriend or a spouse, they were really kind of happy that they didn't have friends because it meant that the man could devote all of his time to her. What do you think about that idea? Is it important for a man to have his own friendships? I think critically to his own self-identity and his self-worth. When we're isolated, regardless of what the reason is, when we have one primary filter that tells us how to exist in the world, it forces us to be codependent in, in usually unhealthy ways. Hmm. I found when you have peers who go through the same questions about sexuality, attitudes, their place in the world, they go through the same struggles with how to be accepted or to speak without being seen as angry black man, there is comfort and safety and sanity in the camaraderie. You never outgrow that. And you're somewhere in the spectrum, either you're the student, the teacher, or you're the elder who's blessing. Hmm. Comfort and safety. Those are not necessarily words that, as a general matter, society attributes as being important for men to have, although it often is what society says men should be able to provide. Correct. Society would have us believe that the male condition is to procreate, to fight wars, to be angry, and wait for something to happen. Hmm. 
In fact, we are infinitely more complex than that. But we're reduced to those hyper-masculine images that people want to promote. Seems like a burden. It is a terrible burden. You don't know how to be sexual or aggressive. You don't know what signals or codes you're supposed to take. One person says yes and they mean yes. Another person actually means no. Another person's not sure. You're supposed to guess at how to approach people and be confident in it without having a clue. That's a recipe for failure nine out of ten times. Yeah, it doesn't seem all that fair. <laughs> yeah, I could, I, I could use other words, but I'll stop with that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you to think back on the year that just passed and talk about a, an incident or an event or a person who held particular significance to you in either a positive or a negative way. I'm giving you lots of latitude. Wow. The first thing that comes to mind is the situation with Jay-Z and the NFL. Talk about that. Most people who actually listen for facts that are verifiable understand the Colin Kaepernick protest situation had to do with the treatment of blacks by police or figures of authority in their community, not being respected, being killed without due process. He brought this to our attention. But for those who did not want us to believe the truth of that, there was a false information campaign to discredit that. And the powers that be repeated the rumors without ever checking out the validity of the truth. Okay. You've got polarized people who believe what they want to believe. You've got people who thought they knew the truth but don't want to check it out. And then you've got a huge group of people who are just apathetic. So rumors carry the day. How did Jay-Z come into all of this? Jay-Z had been positioned in the black community as a standard bearer. Music, the lyrics, some of the things that he did philanthropically. The situation with him endorsing a plan for the NFL felt very one-sided. It's like there wasn't a resolution to the Kaepernick situation. There was a decision to look past it. And I'm not sure anybody still understands it other than it was a business decision. But it certainly wasn't a justice decision. I think people of his stature in the black community also have a responsibility to the community. Now, there have been many debates on this. This is like going back to the Charles Barkley, I am not a role model argument. The reality is, yes, you are. 
whether you choose to be positive or negative, what you do and you do in public, that is either rewarded for good or bad behavior, promoted as the standard of the community, that makes you a role model. Reluctant or not, that makes you a role model. So in Jay-Z making the decision that he did with respect to the NFL, what message would you say that gave to the rest of the world? It pretty much said that someone of Jay-Z's stature doesn't believe in Colin Kaepernick or Colin Kaepernick's cause had a limited shelf life. When, as a member of the black community, as a, remem- as a member of the black male community specifically, are there things that you hope will be different in this coming year? I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. I want you to think about it, and we'll be back in a minute. What are your thoughts about your wishes, your hopes, uh, or even a prediction or two for African-American men in the year to come? I think 2020 is going to be a make-or-break year for the black community in general, but specifically for black men. I think not since the Million Man March have we had an opportunity to take a hard look at our condition and decide the direction we want to take. Not to please somebody else, but we want to take. Um, There was a guest on one of the recent Roland Martin shows who gave the analogy of in the barbershop he heard some kids talking about how they wanted the $200 Jordans. And it was obvious that they didn't have the money to buy a $200 pair of Jordans. Let me, just inter- let me just interrupt you for a second. For those who don't know the name Roland Martin, who is he? Roland Martin is a community activist, television personality, definitely, I think, one of the leaders in the black community politically these days. Gotcha. You were saying he talked, Roland Martin was talking about what? One of his guests was talking about how we in the black community don't teach generational wealth building. And it needed to be something that was taught from teenagers. And the condition he defined really struck me as true. There's not a credibility problem in the black community. There's a credit problem in the black community. And by his own demographic studies, if you can up the credit score from 500 to 700 for the average person in the black community, there is no crime statistic for anybody who has a 700 or higher credit score Hmm. because those people think differently. They don't think about short-term gains. They think about long-term gains, and they think about wealth. That means stocks, bonds, financial investments. 
if you can teach a person to invest $70 in a share of stock in something like Nike, as opposed to being a consumer of the product for $200, that builds generational wealth. It builds the social economic structure of knowledge of financial instruments that can allow someone to be self-employed, be a business owner like Nipsey Russell. There's not enough of that going on in our community, but the word is starting to get out. We're starting not to wait for the drips and drabs that come from government programs designed to play. When you talk about the concept of a self-made black millionaire or an African-American man or woman who owns their own business, there are those people who sort of cringe at that concept, and then there are others who think, well, yeah, but that's just one. That could never happen to me. What do you say to either side of that coin? I, I say the hypothetical that it doesn't exist is proven wrong every day. Okay. Perfect example is for anybody who's ever had a son or daughter come involved with the criminal justice system, if they're ever locked up, there's a system where you have to pay to be able to use a phone at the jail. That payment system is a contract that some provider has, and you're paying, in most cases, 10 to 20 times what you would pay for a regular phone. And it's a monopoly. That's the only system available. Well, an ex-offender decided he would offer that service for less money. So a family member can purchase a calling card from his service that can be used for a lesser price than what was being offered through the prison systems. That kind of innovation leads to a sea change in dependency on a service. That can make you a millionaire overnight. Those kind of opportunities have always existed, but we did not have the courage to find financing and support to take advantage of them before. Now more than ever, it's a necessity to find alternative methods of building a business and being self-dependent. Why do you say now more than ever? As we are more fragmented than ever as a country, we are less inclined to give to charities. I believe there are less opportunities to make mistakes and recover from them than ever before. That sounds a bit ominous. Less opportunities to make mistakes. Are you saying that you're more likely to suffer the full negative brunt of a poorly made decision now versus then? Well, I'd like to kind of change the question. Okay. I read books to learn information rather than having to go through the experiences myself. Okay. I found mentors who were willing to share their experiences and give me direct processes or steps to success based on their past failures and successes that streamlined the process for me. I don't think I need to make mistakes. I need to have better mentors. 
I need to find a place where they're teaching the success process and principles. For those listening who would like to get more information about the Mankind Project, the Afante Project, any thoughts that any directions you can offer? Yes. You can Google either or. The Mankind Project USA, you can look under their banner and look for a center near you. In Memphis, Tennessee, there is Afante, sometimes referred to as the Inward Journey Underground Railroad Odyssey. These are some really good incubators for cultural awareness, independence, and focused ideas about social economic empowerment for your own community. Daryl, as we close out today, are there any goals or hopes that you have for yourself for the coming year? Well, funny you should ask that question. I've watched your show grow and marvel at the variety of guests and information that I've gained from listening to your shows. And a number of people have asked me, would I consider a podcast? I'm nowhere as knowledgeable as you are, but as a media consultant, I think, yeah, it might be time for me to have some kind of social media presence also. Well, we're here to help if you want to give us a call. I'm more than happy to take you up on that offer. <laughs> All right, Daryl Moman, again, thank you so much for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. It's been a pleasure. And folks, thank you for joining us today. Mind Talk is brought to you regularly and available to you 24-7 at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. If you would like to be in touch, if there's any question that you would like or subject you would like for us to cover, by all means, do send an email to us. That's Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that is M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember, too, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.